Hi, this is Mary James with Passive House Accelerator. Thank you for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the Passive House podcast recorded at FiasCon 23 in Houston, Texas. And a big thank you to Zola Windows for their support of the series. And today I'm talking with Ellen Franconi of PNNL. Um, Ellen, can you introduce yourself and just tell us briefly what you do at PNN now? Sure. Thanks, Mary. Um, yes, I work within the group within a Department of Energy Research Laboratory, which is PNNL, um, and we support the Department of Energy's uh, efforts to advance building energy codes. And so the work I do um, focuses on building performance analysis to inform code development. And, um, but you're here talking about uh, passive house-related research that you've done on um, resiliency uh, to extreme heat and extreme cold. So can you tell us a little bit about that research? Sure. Um, so that was in response to a, a request for a proposal put out by the Department of Energy to all of the research labs. And... Um, it was PNNL plus two other labs, um, NREL and LBNL. We all worked together to develop a methodology to quantify the value of resilience um, during extreme heat and cold events um, as it related to the ability to shelter in place. Um, so that took us down a very interesting path. Normally, we use building simulation modeling to evaluate building performance. But because we were looking at extreme heat and cold, we also had to evaluate what those events were. And then we had to understand impact beyond just energy use, energy um, cost savings from efficiency improvements. But what did it mean in terms of impact to the occupants or damage, impact to the property, and, um, and just overall I guess, the ability to shelter in place. So we were really expanding this place of building performance into these other areas in terms of extreme weather and then impact. Well, certainly um, there's been a lot of descriptions of the benefits of Passive House that people um, have questions about, you know, like, yes, that sounds plausible, but where's the actual research showing it? So this is very interesting because resilience to extreme weather events is certainly a logical benefit of Passive House. But again, um, perhaps the actual data hasn't been there to back it up. So I'm excited to hear about this study. And um, one of the things that leaps to my mind is so you were modeling it with what um, software? Because I know a lot of them use monthly average temperatures rather than peak temperatures. So I wonder how you worked with that. Yes. Um, so for the building performance analysis, the more traditional approach, um, we use the Energy Plus building simulation program, uh, which is an hourly analysis. Um, and we then did couple that with other sort of assessments, one to identify extreme heat and cold events. We looked at six U.S. locations um, representing different climate zones across the country in different hazard regions. 
Um, and we mostly focus on single family buildings. We did do some work on multifamily and we did a, a, a case study on an assisted living facility, which is an actual facility built outside of Houston, um, sort of as is condition and if it was improved. So that's it with all these buildings and the locations we examined. We looked at the, an existing building characterization, population of buildings in general. Um, so for each county, generally it was about 3,000 um, single family buildings that represented the area. For example, um, they were simulated and we could get the, um, over the population. I mean, we'd look at like 5% median, 95% of the population, get a feel for their performance and then um, pull things out of the simulation program that would help us assess the, these resilience aspects. So one parameter is called the, a standard effective temperature. So it's not just the, the room temperature, it takes into account the humidity and um, air airflow and um, clothing level, that kind of thing. And um, we could come up with some metrics that would uh, evaluate over a period of time, seven days was one period. Um, if the building didn't have power and it was floating, like how would it perform? And what did that performance mean to the occupants? Could they shelter in place? Um, how might it impact them? So we could use these metrics, one, um, this passive survivability metric kind of tied to the standard effective temperature, accumulative value, um, within a certain range, um, sort of a degree day kind of calculation. I don't know if everybody's familiar with that, but basically if it, it would exceed a threshold given a certain range, then it was be determined to be not habitable over a seven day period. That's floating, no power, extreme heat. Um, so that's one way to look at it. And that was a very good metric because you could see um, baseline condition, existing condition, you would improve it. Our one improvement level we did was to current code. And then the next improvement was to the FIAS um, standard, 2021 standard. So that was where the FIAS model came in. And in general, across um, all locations, it was um, improved efficiency, certainly resulted in improved um, comfort and a, 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 the better ability to um, shelter in place. Um, it also, we looked at the impact in terms of the effect on, um, well, health, <laughs> uh, but that's very qualitative in some ways. So one, uh, another type of model, it's more of a fragility curve about the impact of heat on, on people. Um, we, we did access and we were able to get a sense of mortality, excess mortality is what it's called during extreme heat and cold. And we did also see in just about every case, um, increase in efficiency, um, did reduce this excess mortality. Again, kind of the, an indication of sheltering in place and impacts. We did try to get into property damage, like burst pipes or something like during cold, but that was harder. I mean, it's not like we have a model of that level that we could do across a population to, to determine that. We did look at some published data by um, FEMA um, in part of the National Risk Index database, but
but it really was, it underrepresented it based on what we've seen from recent events. So, um, and the other thing was our study was based on historic weather and we, and we have started to look at future projections of weather. And we do see that that is going to have a huge impact because what we saw happening maybe once every few years of extreme heat or cold, it's really going to be more like three times a year um, compared to current conditions. So I, I do think some of these benefits and the metrics that we were pulling out were able to quantify the impact of, of even code and passive house. Um, it was showing positive be benefits and I can only imagine that's going to become more important as we move um, to future weather, more extreme heat and cold, um, and the more more potential for having power outages during those conditions. Yes, I, uh, we were both just in a session where they talked about the number of power outages in Texas during the last, what was it, five years or something? And it was... a you know, over a thousand power outages during yeah. that time period. So right. certainly right. it's something we all have to expect and plan for in a level. And um, the excess morbidity is kind of a dramatic uh, yeah. metric to go by. Right, right, right. I mean, it is, and I, I, um, I think we all have an intuitive understanding of what improved comfort means to us on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but it's true when you get to extreme heat and cold, it does take it to an extreme impact. Um, and that is just a, a parameter um, that it's, it's helpful for planning and just understanding impact. And also there is a, the value of a statistical life, <laughs> you know, so $10 million is, you know, a typical value. So we were able to include that to, to understand, yeah, what is the value of efficiency as we work towards trying to get something as solid as the benefit cost ratio for an investment. But honestly, at this point, we do have a handful of resilience metrics that are interesting. They all say something. And so now you could take those metrics, um, work with stakeholders, some people of interest in the outcome and they could assign a weighting factor to the different metrics and help use that for their criteria to make a decision. Um, it could be, you know, this, you know, a days of safety. It could be um, annual energy costs. It, it could be a number of things um, that goes into decision making as to do they go to current code? Would they take it to FIAS, for example? Right, and um, so I imagine this has a little bit of a tie-in to your residential energy code work because codes are in some ways meant to prevent excess deaths. I mean, that well, is that, part of the point so, of it. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. And there's been a lot of studies done on other aspects of codes. I mean, uh, fires, hurricanes, flooding, kind of thing. And they do bring in the, you know, deaths that can be prevented and damages. And in some ways, the, the energy impacts, that kind of assessment has, has not been done. So we thought we know, you know, there is added value to um, energy efficiency um, and that part of the codes. 
And so this was in response to that work not being done to, to really try to do a better job of how do we quantify it. Yeah, it's, it's really great. You know, the health benefits of being able to shelter in place during power outages. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you know, short of excess morbidity, there's a lot of health benefits from being able to stay oh. in your home. Right, right. And I think it was Hurricane Katrina where everybody was going to the, the Superdome, which was a real, it was good intention, but what a disaster. And I think people were going to, a, were trying to go to a safe place and it ended up being a really bad place to be. So I think they did start to appreciate after that being at your home with your prescriptive you know, medicines, with your eyeglasses, with everything you would need to be comfortable if you could have thermal comfort. It would be a better solution. Yeah, that's really, it's great. And um, is the, has your research been published yet? Um, yes, it was published in July of this year. And you can find the report. Well, you could find several resources um, if you were to um, Google um, building energy codes program resilience. There is a website page and our report is, I think the first report listed on that. Well, that's really great. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm excited, uh, as somebody who's tried to, uh, also track, um, indoor air quality benefits of passive house buildings. It's hard to find data on that. And this is just one more piece supporting the, um, all the many great reasons to build to Passive House standards. Yeah, thanks. And I'm actually really excited to be at the conference here and talking, sharing this work because, um, you know, it was done with a certain purpose. It's in a, a pretty big, intimidating report, I would say, to the layperson. It's maybe 150 pages with appendices. Um, just to extract things out in a way maybe more graphical or just so people, People can understand you might not need an exact number, but you can see trends and that might be enough to to just get a, a client, a planner to appreciate the importance of these considerations. Great. Thanks so much for your time here. I really appreciate it.